but it became a thing where I just really felt a connection to it. And it was this thing I've always wanted to do my entire life. And now I'm doing it. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. My guest on this episode is hip-hop artist, producer, and prolific beatmaker Lewis Morris. During our interview, we talk about how his move from poetry to rap came about. We also got into his experience recording at BO8 Studios here in Pawtucket for his latest album, Don't Be Nice, uh, which came out earlier this year and is fantastic. Um, plus, we cover the list of collaborations he's built over the years and just kind of got into the therapeutic value of music. So, uh, yeah, I'm such a big fan of everything that Lewis does and this was a real fun conversation to have with them. I hope you all like it too. Um, if you do, please leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening right now. Uh, it really does help a lot. And enjoy. Yeah, I grew up on the south side of Providence, you know, with like short little excursions on the in East Providence and down south. Uh, but most of my time has been spent, you know, Southside Providence. Uh, grew up in a very poor, very religious household. So uh, my mom was Pentecostal Christian. We went to a church called the Shallow Gospel Temple um, that okay. was housed in the um, big giant Methodist church on the Providence Cranston city line. And I most of my most of my exposure to music was gospel music. So. Now, that's okay. mostly what I grew up listening to as a kid, because my mom wouldn't allow me to listen to stuff that had a bunch of cussing in it, or, you know, rap or anything like that. So it's uh-huh. Jesus, you know. Um, but when I went to my dad's over the weekend, uh, it was a very different thing, where he was listening to a lot of uh, punk music, Parliament Punkadelic, mm-hmm. Clinton, um, or he was listening to a bunch of jazz, so a lot of John Coltrane, a lot of Cannibal Adderley, a lot of yeah, Frank yeah. Marsalis, all that, all that good jazz. And yeah, so that was like most of my musical diet growing up. And I didn't really get a real introduction to rap until uh, I got this game for the Nintendo GameCube called <laughs> Dave Mara Freestyle BMX 2. And right. I had a and I had a song by Gangstar called "Moment of Truth." Yeah, and right. I remembered listening to it while while playing, and I felt and I felt like uh, I couldn't even pay attention to you know doing like you know <laughs> like all all the crazy moves and all that because I was just too busy just listening to the song, and it felt like for the first time a song was talking directly to me and speaking to me and the things that mattered to me. Uh-huh. And that was a wild feeling. So uh, from that point on, it became uh, sort of a thing where I just wanted to explore, um, you know, hip hop and 
uh, all of and all of its history and what I had been missing by not listening to it because prior to that point I had really no exposure to the inner workings of the culture and the genre outside of you know things that were already popular or things okay. that I would listen to on the bus to school you know um, so yeah that was uh that that was the the start the start of it so it was a yeah. so. So you could say it was a an interesting, uh, balanced diet of food that I think if you listen to my music now, you can hear the pieces of all of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, in that, you know, the gospel and the jazz and the funk and all that good stuff. So. Yeah. Okay. And like, roughly, what year was that that you started to get into to hip hop? Um, well, I was eleven at the time, eleven or twelve, and I think that was probably. Like, want to say twenty, like two thousand two, okay, two thousand two thousand one or two thousand two. It was around, yeah, okay. It was around then. Yeah, all right. Um, and then, yeah, what was that next step then? So, I mean, you heard Gangstar. Were you just trying to find a lot more hip hop of that style, I guess, or that era? Um, you know, because yeah, two thousand two was not, you know. Uh, the, the big stuff coming out at that time was not Gangstar, you know? Um, oh, no. So, but, uh, like, so were you kind of going back to, like, more 80s, 90s hip-hop and, and starting to uncover that stuff? Well, at the time, you know, there wasn't a lot of easy ways to search up. Yeah, okay. To search up things. So you end up discovering things, and then you try and dive into it as much as, much as you can. So... What I did was there used to be this service that Yahoo had called Yahoo Music Videos, where you could just okay. watch music videos on like a playlist. So uh, a lot of time was spent just watching different music videos, and a lot of it was just you know what was on the radio at the time, yeah, popular things um, like you know Fifty or um, the big one I think that I watched a lot was. Uh, this horrible LL Cool J song called Love Me Better. Uh, it's yeah. really bad. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, of all the, you know, mainstream sort of sort of stuff that was out at the time, I think I gravitated to a particular set of sounds, you know, a particular kind of, of song, you know? Okay. Songs that usually have, you know, very prominent, uh, that doesn't try to hide its sampling, you know? Yep. Uh, songs that are kind of rough around the edges in terms of how they approach the sampling. Um, yeah. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff like that. I remember uh, one song I listened to a lot was this R&B track called uh, Why Don't We Fall In Love by Amory. And there's this beautiful, beautiful production uh, that uh, so clearly sounds like it's honoring the thing that it's sampling by not trying to hide it under layers of other noises, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just something I really, I really respect. And, you know, those years, um, it was really hard to dive into, you know, things that you heard because you would hear them, but you wouldn't know the name of it. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I'm going to have it in my head, but I don't know what it is. And then years later you discover what it is. And it's, just blows your mind. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that kind of brings to mind, like going back, and you were listening to some some funk and jazz. Were you 
kind of breaking that stuff down like even earlier because um, it's you know I, I guess it just why i'm bringing that up is i remember listening to the radio and like thinking about drums when i was probably like eight or something like that like listening to like lionel richie and being like oh man dancing on the ceiling like i, I like this beat and like this is what's kind of going on and i wasn't necessarily putting yeah. it together <laughs> but when i started playing i was like oh i was just being more analytical about like music before i even kind of knew it like is that something that's um yeah maybe de- true yeah definitely i remember um like i used to have like i developed like this weird like sort of writing language of how i would make drum uh, patterns right yeah yeah so it would be like kick kick snare kick kick snare kick 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 snare you know all that all that stuff and a lot of it was just me listening to drum beats alike and songs alike and then trying to yeah. replicate them on a page, you know? Ah, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I did a lot of that and, you know, there were songs that I gravitated towards uh, for specific reasons, but I just didn't have the vocabulary to understand why I gravitated towards those songs. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a string section in the middle or maybe it was, you know, uh, some trumpets, maybe it was a saxophone hanging in the background. It's a lot of, it's a lot of that. And, um, I didn't really have the, um, the sort of vocabulary and know how to know what those things were. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, like around that same time, I remember I asked my dad, uh, for a keyboard, right? Like a Yamaha keyboard. Mm -hmm. And I played around with that thing forever. Just, or just going through like the presets and uh, listening to all the beats from that and trying to make songs that way. Okay. Uh, and and all that. So I didn't have necessarily the vocabulary or, or know how or anything to approach really creating music, and I wouldn't get that stuff for a long time still. So. Um, but it was, but it was the start. Was just listening to those things and trying to sort of, in my own janky twelve-year-old brain, reverse engineer how those things came to be. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome, man. Um, well, cool. I mean, you met, just mentioned this uh, this keyboard. Was that actually your intro to music? Like, were you, were you first making beats, or were you doing poetry first, or like, what was your first kind of artistic endeavor? Uh, so it was always poetry first. Oh, okay. You know? Um, I started writing poetry at around the same, at around that same time. I remember the first poem I wrote was uh, this one I wrote in the middle of church, right? And uh, the the, you know, preacher was preaching and he was doing his message. And I usually, you know, used to be very attentive during those things, but I just kept having this, these series of words in my head that just kept repeating and I couldn't pay attention. So mm-hmm. I just ended up writing it down, um, but I didn't have paper, so I just had a napkin and a pen <laughs> and a seat next to me that uh, were those really uncomfortable uh, metal chairs uh, yep. that are just that just kills your back, right? <laughs> and yeah. and it had like ornamental design, so it had holes in it. So <laughs> me trying to write was just me poking holes and <laughs> all that. It was bad, but. I did write a poem. I, yeah. I wrote I wrote a poem that had sixteen lines, and it was and it was all that. And you know, obviously, when you're that age, you start failing. 
you start failing things and you don't understand until you get older. Oh, wait, that's depression. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And, um, and I remember taking that poem and, and bringing it to English class uh, and reading it uh, because my teacher heard that. I told my teacher, hey, I wrote, wrote a poem. And she's like, oh, cool. Do you want to read it in front of the class? And not thinking, I was like, yeah. And I read it. And my teacher became very concerned. And then the next day, I came in. The school psychiatrist uh, intercepted me at the door and was like, hey, you want to talk? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But it was the first time um, that I felt like... Uh, Someone listened to me and took my <laughs> words seriously. So um, poetry became the thing after that. And I wrote poetry pretty regularly um, from, from, that, from that point on. And music yeah. wasn't really, like making music seriously, wasn't really in my radar um, until I got much older. So, yeah. Okay. And yeah, when, when did that start then? <laughs> when did you start making music? Uh, well, that <laughs> see that started when I was in college. Okay, and I took a class called Beat Research, which was all about the history of electronic music. Uh, you know, from hip hop to techno to house, uh, dubstep, all of all of that. Yeah, and um, a part of that class was learning how to use beat making software. So uh, at that time. It was just like, oh my god, I get to, I get to do the things I've listened to other people do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, because at that time, I was uh, really into, you know, DJ Premier, Night Wonder, Alchemist, Pete yeah. Rock, Watch Professor, like, like I was, I wasn't about the rappers. I was about the, about the beats, you know, the the production and and all that, and yeah, uh, the, the the guys I admire with those guys. Mm -hmm. And um, those are good and, guys. <laughs> yeah, right. It's <laughs> a good list. Yeah. So I sort of dove into that and got hooked immediately, and um, started you know making beats like a madman. Uh, most of them were bad back then, uh, but it became a but it became a thing where I just really felt a connection to it. And it was this thing I've always wanted to do my entire life. And now I'm doing it. Like, so you've been doing poetry for quite a while, started making beats from this class. Were you like, I'm going to make beats for myself and, and start rapping? Or were you just like, I, was it still kind of separate? 
Yeah. Um, so my philosophy back then, and, you know, it kind of mirrors my philosophy now is, you know, making beats and writing poetry um, or writing raps uh, are sometimes intertwined, but most of the time not. And yeah. at that time, I wasn't really thinking about rapping um, because, you know, poetry was still like the number one thing. And mm-hmm. I just didn't I just didn't think about uh, putting putting what I do with poetry to beats because I think the approach my approach to writing poetry isn't really conducive to writing raps you know yeah I'm okay. very because uh, I'm I I have this bad habit where I tend to edit before I even put something down on the page <laughs> and yeah. it's and it's bad and you know a lot of times I'll you know laboriously go over a line in my head and judging by the audience of people in my brain, uh, it either goes on a page or it doesn't. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, with, um, with writing raps, it requires a more free mindset that isn't so dominated by the need to, you know, perfectly sculpt every line. Okay. And uh, so that was the reason why I sort of kept them separate for a very long time. And it just got to a point where I just looked at all these beats that I had. Uh, Some of them were good. Some of them were, you know, whatever. And I was just like, they're just going to stay beats unless I do something with them. And, (laughs) and, you know, not really knowing uh, anything at the time, I tried to connect with, you know, like uh, local independent MCs like Dutch Rebel. And was like, hey, I have beats. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, and she was like, send them, send them to me. And I sent her a bunch that I thought were like, great. And obviously I didn't hear it back from her. But, you know, <laughs> that was because uh, I didn't, I didn't develop the sound yet. I was still copying the stuff I liked, you know, uh, I was still yeah, copying, okay. you know, Primo and Alchemist and all those guys. Um so at that point, I decided, hey, why don't I just try writing a song? And I wrote one song, just one. And I wrote it and I memorized it. And uh, it came time for like a for like a school function as part of my major. And I was asked to perform. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try doing this rap song. And I did. And I didn't hate it. And it kind of felt good to be up there. It kind of felt good to be rapping my words. And that kind of made me think, hey, I should try doing this. And uh, of course, me not knowing how to take things slow, I was like, I'm going to make an album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and, what was uh, that song? What was the first song that you did? <clears throat> the first song that I did was, uh, like it's on the first, it's on the first album I did. It's a song called Dog. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And um, you know, with bad recording quality and all that, uh, it's still up. But it's still up. And uh, yeah, it just became this thing where um, I listened to it and I showed it to people, and all of a sudden they were like, "Yo, you, you got something here. You can, you can do this. You can really do this." And it yeah. didn't really, and it didn't really uh, 
hit me that way until the song, through no trying of my own, was featured on Boston Hassle's website uh, as a as like a check this out this new guy feature and yeah um and it became a thing where it was like okay I think I think I can do this and um yeah it became the dominant thing over the course of years where you know poetry is not really a thing I'm doing that much anymore and um you know rap is so uh-huh. yeah yeah so when you were making these early beats like what what were you using what do you remember the programs and stuff like that or were you using drum machines were you using a mixture of stuff like how were you creating things yeah um i've pretty much my entire career have been exclusively all about ableton okay so ableton live uh i've and most of what I did was, you know, in software, so I didn't have like a physical, you know, drum machine or, I got or you. anything okay. like that. Um, I, th- I actually haven't really done the drum machine thing until very recently. My first piece of equipment that I bought for myself was an MPK. Um, that had like the keyboard and the drum pad. Yeah. And um, and eventually I, you know, graduated to a slightly larger MPK. Uh, and just this year, I bought my first MPC. Uh, I've been using that MPC a lot to make beats. Actually, a lot of the beats um, don't be nice for me with that MPC. So cool. Um, you know, it's different. It's way different because um, yeah, yeah. You know, the processes are you have to think in steps when it comes to the MPC. Whereas I kind of, if a part isn't working, then I'll shelve it for now, and then I'll work on this other part. I got you. Uh, you can't really do that with the MPC. You kind of have to map out where you're going in advance, which um, it's a very different thing, uh-huh. a very different uh, sort of process, and it's uh, making me rethink how I put together my beats. So, yeah, that seems still pretty cool, though. You know, to just keep advancing in that way, and you know, push yeah, yourself. You know, so, um, did you? complete that that first record as uh as you had plans or how long did it take from that first song to the to the record um you know we're just eating the whole apple in one bite or like yeah um <laughs> it didn't it didn't take that long actually yeah yeah um because a lot of it was recorded with like a snowball mic actually my first few albums were recorded with that same snowball mic okay um, you know uh and like this you know brinky dink recording studio um, on Mass Arts campus. And um, yeah, so from that track's release, I think that was 2012, like midway 2012. Like, I want to say it was like towards the, towards the summer of 2012 was when that song was finished. Yeah. And uh, from then to the next year, uh, to next summer, that album was out. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, so... A lot of it was just, you know, um, like it's a, it's the book of rhymes album, you know, it's everything you think you've ever wanted to say on record. And mm-hmm. of course, a lot of it wasn't good, but whatever. Um, it was a lot of the things I believed and a lot of the things I wanted to, uh, say to say on the record. Um, it was that album. And okay. yeah, so it wasn't that long. Probably should have been longer, but you know, whatever. 
And uh, which album was, is this Ampersand? Is that the first record? Uh, uh, no, the first album is called Dope. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Ampersand was uh, actually that next year. So oh, okay. Dope was 2013, Ampersand was 2014. Um, I still have a lot, I still have a, a, a fondness for Ampersand. Though. I feel like a lot of my approach with that album informed my approach on the latest one that I just put out. Um, okay, like in what so, way? Yeah, it was a uh, very collaborative, and oh, okay. I felt like yeah, yeah. I just had a lot of fun, um, you know, writing it. A lot of fun making the beats. A lot of fun uh, just being in a studio with people as they were adding their parts, and um, yeah. And I wasn't thinking too hard about like making it like this grand statement, like. Uh, the albums that sort of that sort of came after Ampersand, I kind of felt like were these labored attempts to be like meaningful and important, and uh, a lot of and for a lot of it, it just didn't feel fun, you know. Uh-huh. And that's not to say those albums are bad or anything. It just didn't like I don't have that same I didn't have that same sort of positive energy throughout its entire creation, whereas. Um, with Ampersand, that positive energy was throughout because I surrounded myself with people that supported my sound and supported what I was trying to do and all of that good stuff. And um, that was something I wanted to sort of replicate and uh, and find again for Don't Be Nice. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, listening to a lot of your stuff and I mean, you're can share whatever you want to share, uh, but it seems that your music is quite deeply personal. Um, you know, that it's not only even just the stuff that's going on around you, which is, you know, pretty connected to just hip hop music in general. Um, but like, you know, it seems like just some more personal things. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really interesting because I didn't, a lot of like the personal stuff, you know, talking about you know, my life or, you know, uh, socioeconomic status, like I get a job or you know, mental health things or, or other, other stuff like that. Um, that's a more recent development um, yeah. because a lot of um, my music a couple of years back, um, I wanted to try and avoid myself. Uh-huh. to create like this larger than life version of myself and um it wasn't until i had a sort of um personal crisis um towards the end of 2016 going into 2017 where just all every bad thing bad thing that could happen did happen and it was entirely my fault and it just became this uh it became this thing where uh, I realized I had been avoiding myself and my music and that that had to change. So um, I created the album Alive, right? Yeah. Uh, as an attempt to sort of <clears throat> flush out this toxicity uh, from out of my system and to also face myself directly for the first time about the smoke and mirrors. Which is why, if you go to that album, um, Bandcamp, I think the cover is just my face. 
And yeah, yeah. I did that intentionally because I had never featured my face prominently on any of my album covers. Uh -huh. um, so anytime I wanted to listen to it, I had to face me, you know? I'm always running from epiphanies or whatever the universe wants to give to me. I always dodge it. No, I ain't so proud to admit to this logic. Can't try to do like the sixes and just trust the process. This ain't I'm an artist. All I do is rhyme my feelings at a microphone. Oversharing through a crowd of punches makes me feel at home. Waiting through the shards of everything that I've broken. Whatever truth is dormant and my soul ain't been spoken. Tell of a first sight never applied to my reflection. The teardrop accompanied this lesson. Left with all the questions that are for forever if I'm ever to other displays I'll meet a me that's deader than possible distant than God sick of mourning who I used to be all this inner scrutiny attached to my flaws so I smashed my old mirrors went out to find some new ones but searching ever since yeah but searching ever since ever since So yeah, a lot of so a lot of my content now is sort of explorations of who I am, uh, whether that means celebrating that or criticizing that or holding myself accountable. Um, you know, it's all I, I view it as you know me trying to sort of understand myself, okay. trying to walk, trying to walk through these dark corridors that are covered in cobwebs and dust. And trying to find, trying to find myself in those corridors, mm -hmm. you know. And that's something I've never really done before. And I think of it as, you know, therapy in that sense. Um, you know, just trying to understand myself. And I think that was the whole purpose behind the creation of some of my more recent projects was just um, trying to see myself in the most honest most empathetic, but but yet most, you know, holding myself accountable way possible. Uh -huh. And it sort of birthed into the songs on Don't Be Nice, where, you know, one second I'm talking about my mental health, another I'm talking about my inability to get a job or maybe or my inability to, you know, sustain healthy relationships or things like that. Like, all of that stuff is just... I lay out there, and uh -huh. that's something I haven't done uh, previously. Um, so yeah, that's that's been sort of my approach to uh, making songs and writing lyrics. Is uh, honest? Is it is it exploring a side of me that hasn't been explored before by me uh -huh. or by the people listening to my music? Is this going to help the people that listen to it explore parts of their lives too? You know, it's. Uh -huh. it's, it's, it's 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 me considering all of those things yeah yeah i mean as a as a fan of what you do i i, I appreciate that um and it's i definitely have you know i've listened to don't be nice a ton um i've listened to a lot of your earlier stuff as well but i've been really digging that that new record um and anyone that's listening to this podcast that hasn't checked out don't be nice like do it um it's an amazing record and um yeah hopefully you'll have a, a similar experience of connecting with it um 
you know, if you've had any like struggles in your life or whatever else it is, you know, you should probably be able to kind of connect with this. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, can you talk a little bit about what your writing process is like, um, or what it was even for this, this newest record, if you want to be more um, specific to that, like, how do you know, um, what beats you're going to use? How do you, you know, like, you know, and I guess we'll cover that in a little bit as well, but you are an extremely prolific beat maker, you know, like it is, I don't, I couldn't, I tried to count, but I cannot count how many like, beats you put out that, that are just on your own page. And then, uh, you know, we'll definitely uh, talk about a lot of the artists that you've worked with, but when you're making these things, are you like, this is for me. Um, this is going on my next record. And then writing the, the, the lyrics to it then, or, or like, how does that process work for you? That, that's, that's a good question because like, uh, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, right? Like there are times when um, an artist wants to be, and I feel a connection to it. And I'm like, well, bills, right? And I sell yeah. that beat and they take that beat and make something amazing with it. And I'm intensely jealous that I didn't <laughs> keep it for myself. It's happened a lot yeah. of times, like a lot of times, but I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to nail down, but you, but you just know, um, when you make something, when you make a beat and you can't get it out of your head, you can kind of hear it when you're not listening to it. You know, yeah. You go to sleep hearing it. You wake up hearing it. You know, um, and you just kind of know when uh, when it's going to be something that you'll want to use. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a feeling that I can you know really articulate in that way. I feel like uh, with you know, don't be nice. For example, there were a couple of joints on that where I just thought about. Um, you know, the sort of sounds that I gravitate towards and just knowing uh, what kind of sounds those are going to be. Like, um, I remember when I made the beat for um, pre-post-apocalyptic music, uh, yeah. the, opening, the opening track. And, uh, you know, those, uh, that, those strings, that string section, the nice chunky bass line, yeah. how clean it is, how easy it is to loop. Uh, and all that, I remembered making it and just in my head, just knowing that it's going to be something that I'm going to use. Yeah, okay. And I remember even while making it, I thought of that pre-post-apocalyptic pre music. I thought about that sort of cadence as yep. I was making it. And usually when that happens, I just know that it's mine and I just don't tell anybody about it. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so that so they hear it. Um, other times, it's um, ones that require the most work, the ones that take the longest to uh, sort of see through and realize uh -huh. and all that. Like the other one, like that was chasing echoes. Uh, yeah, okay. Where that took forever, and it was you know five different samples, all of which I tried sampling previously in the past, but just couldn't make any of them work individually. Mm -hmm. Um, so it became this thing where, uh, just the amount of work that went into it was, um, just made me think I'm going to want to keep this and I'm going to want to make something meaningful. Out yeah. of it. Um, but yeah, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to tell 
Um, you, but you just know. You yeah, it's know a little bit like it's... kind of a gut feeling. You're like, ah, this one is kind of, you just connect with it a little bit more at, at times. Exactly. Exactly. Yo. Take a right, I'm killer, crack galley, garbage pill, nigga, cussing like a sailor. Don't ask where I'm from if you don't want the answer. Don't inhale the smoke if you can't live with the cancer. Providence in my veins, my testicides to my brain, catch me feeding for the dirty brown. Water up my sink, 11, bust the KP, gaze at the gray sky. Feels like I've never seen the fucking sun. Day flies like I swim in a molasses. City air contaminated with the anti-jasses. Can't predict the weather, Tony, but try to get forecast it. But let them know the havoc. 11, where you're from, I recognize. And that's a casket Set my dose Lemonade and wits Cause it's bitter Fainting myself for renegade You know better nigga I left this fucking city Ten years of resistance Just to come back to a guess That makes me a quitter Right? Uh, the writing process is um, I always start with the beat first. I mm-hmm. almost never write a track without a beat. Um, so usually I I just I make the beat, um, listen to it, and the ideas that come from that kind of flow from where the beat where the beat takes me. Okay. And I almost never go into writing a song with like a particular subject matter in mind. I listen to what the beat inspires within me and uh a lot of times that's um that's that's just something that i get from just listening to it so the okay. jason echoes beat, for example um i instantly thought about providence when i listened to it and mm-hmm. it was like okay so this is going to be a dedication to providence yeah um so that's the direction i put that song so um you know every song requires something different but you just sort of Listen to it, listen to the vibe. It sort of inspires within you, and then you just write and see where it takes you. And uh, sometimes it'll take you to some pretty to some pretty interesting places. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that's actually a pretty good segue because you have a beat tape um, called Smash that's a dedication to Providence. Um, you know, how did you you know that this particular beat is for, you know, this neighborhood or, you know, the East side or something like that. Or for probably like, was it just something that you were feeling like this beat kind of reminds you of a certain part of the, the States. Um, so I'd like to hear a little bit more about, um, about that particular project that you worked on. That's a deep cut though. <laughs> hey, uh, you said you like, listened to the podcast. You know, I dig. You know, yeah, so. I know, yeah, I know you do the digging. You do the digging. Uh, like it's interesting, like because you know, at that point, I wasn't living in Providence, and I uh, really missed the city. I really missed living in Providence, and I really missed being there because at that point, I hadn't been there in legit years. And okay. I remember when I went back. Uh, I think it was for like Christmas or Thanksgiving or something along those lines. And I remember just walking around and just everything was different, you know, 
like new buildings just erupted out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. The mall, and there's like stores I've never heard of, and <laughs> uh, you know, walk downtown, and Kennedy Plaza looks totally different. It's still gross, but it looked totally different. <laughs> and you know, I just wanted to make sort of a a dedication to um, what I remember of you know the parts of the city uh, yeah. that I'm that I'm most fond of. So. Uh, I just thought of like the vibes I got from just being in Providence. Like if I had the album, if I had, if I had the album in front of me and I saw the track list, you know, yeah, like certain certain songs give off certain moods, you know, because you know, well, I got certain, ones because yeah. I live in I live in Mount Pleasant, and I think the title is like "What's That Smell" or something like that. So <laughs> I wanted to ask: Is it? Is it? Uh, is that a positive thing or a negative thing? Or you're saying that? people that live in Mount Pleasant smell or is it uh, <laughs> like the bakeries we have here or what? <laughs> what were you talking about in that, you know, non-lyric based music that you're putting out, you know? <laughs> uh, I, was thinking, I was thinking about uh, Mount Pleasant High. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, the high school because um, I remember I would uh, go there a couple of times uh, for like, you know, like they used to have like basketball teams, but they weren't really competitive, you know, okay. uh, <laughs> sort of, you know, this weird non-competitive basketball tournament where everybody sucks and no one can shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, I, I wish I knew I about that one. I probably could have competed in it, you know, like, but <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just remember walking down the halls and just thinking, wow, it really stinks. It really stinks in here. And I just like like when I when I was titling it, I just thought of what's that smell and when I and I thought of the title before I thought of the neighborhood. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, when it came to came time to put that on my beat tape, it's like what neighborhood? And it's sort of what that smell and then I connected that <laughs> to the high school and yeah. then bam, there you go. <laughs> nice. So uh, no offense to anyone who lives in Mount Pleasant. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I'll tell all my neighbors that we're cool. You know, yeah. we no beef. Them, but, no beef. But that's something that I will think about anytime I drive by there or run by there or whatever. You know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of staying with some of the beats, like who are some of the people that you've worked with um, and, and done production for? You know, I'm sure it's a, a long list, but, uh, you know, and, and more specific, uh, you know, Rhode Island artists. Um, anybody you want to shout out or? Oh, yeah. Um, I have um, some pretty frequent collaborators. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the one that springs to mind first off is uh, Jesse Detroit. Um, yeah. He's uh he's been you know a big supporter of mine. Has used my beats prominently in a lot of different projects. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think his uh, latest joint that came out, I think it was like Space Tomatoes or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. It's like four beats for me. And um, he and you also, have a killer, a killer verse on, on one of the songs too, by the way. Yeah, I really, love, I really love that verse. Yeah. I was so, like, I was so proud of it, but I was also a little bit upset that I didn't save it from my album. <laughs> you know yeah because i'm competitive damn it um <laughs> uh Drent also i'm a frequent collaborator uh with uh mm-hmm. he he really liked my production and we work together a lot um and i know he's cooking a bunch of stuff up with uh with with some beats like we've been talking about doing a project together mm-hmm. uh so that's something that's happening and uh, also sly coyote um, yeah uh, I think we're doing a project together. Like he has a bunch of my beats, and I think he's just gonna put something out uh, with awesome. all that. And recently, um, uh, Toad uh, from Toad and the Stooligans released mm-hmm. a solo project uh, called A Reptile Dysfunction, uh, which yeah, yeah. is entirely produced by me. And that was a really cool thing to see, just because. Um, you know, um, that group has been doing big things and mm-hmm. the new project uh, is fucking awesome. I love it. And yeah, it's it's just really cool to see all these uh, all these, you know, s- sort of wildly varied and, you know, unique artists um, taking taking a chance on my beats. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just it's just really cool. It's just really cool to see, um, especially considering, you know, uh, that first email I sent to Dutch Rebel that never got answered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? um, but uh, outside of Providence, I think like the most frequent collaborator I work with is an MC from uh, JP by way of Sacramento. His name is Paul Willis. And uh, we got introduced very randomly by a friend. And uh, he said, okay, I'm going to need 14 beats from you. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And yeah. I gave him 14 beats and then he makes this amazing album out of it. And since then, wow. um, we've been pretty frequent collaborators, you know, uh, working like, uh, you know, I give him beats. He, um, he raps over them and it mm-hmm. comes out great. Or he adds guest verses to my projects. I think, uh, up until um, Don't Be Nice, he's had a guest verse on pretty much all of my projects. So, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, it's been it's been a really cool thing to see. Yeah. And I'm assuming you're always open to talking to new people, working with new people. So if anyone likes your oh, beats, reach out to Lewis and uh, try to support him that way as well. You know, so um, cool. Um yeah, you know, I've had some people on that have, have worked at uh, B08 Studios in, uh, in Pawtucket, but I've never talked to anyone about it in more detail. So I figured I'd take an opportunity. If you, I know that you just did uh, the latest record there. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? And um, Yeah. Um, you know, B08 was, the I think, the missing link that I was missed that that I didn't know was missing. Okay. And, um, and it's really interesting because I did most of my, most of, you know, album creating 
prior to Don't Be Nice, pretty much on my own mm -hmm. uh, in that same Ricky Dink studio at Mass Art. And uh, when it came time to, to do Don't Be Nice, I decided I want to use a studio. And I want to mm -hmm. use a studio with people I can with people I can trust, with people who are going to enhance my sound, mm -hmm. what my sound is, and um, mm -hmm. and just understand what I'm trying to do. And uh, I remember being in the studio with Jesse uh, to record that to record that verse from Space Tomatoes, yeah. and uh, just seeing the way he worked with him, the way he worked with me. Uh, you know, just how how he just gives all of himself. Uh, yeah. Talk about you're talking about Sean. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way that he sort of gives so much of himself to the artists that he works with in the studio just mm -hmm. made me think. I want to have that guy in my corner uh, with um, me creating uh, these songs, and uh, just like I thought, you know, he just brings. So much, not just, you know, uh, creative energy, but also sort of artistic know-how, you know, like you can tell him like the kind of mood they're going for on a song and he just knows how to do it, you know? <laughs> um, and I don't, you know, always have like the, the terminology, you know, to understand the things that he's doing, mm -hmm. uh, but he just knows how to do it and just supports my sound, supports the art and... Uh, it was just a really, really cool thing uh, to be in that studio and to also have other people in the studio, you know, to record their verses like uh, like Godzilla on a leash, for example. Yeah, uh, I had no intention of writing to that beat until uh, Drake started writing to it and then Sean started writing to it. And then it's like, well, OK, shit, well, I'm going to have to write to it, too. And <laughs> All three of us are writing to the beat, and uh, <laughs> and that's what Godzilla on a leash became, you know. And I've never had an experience like that uh, in wow. my entire life of just creating something so quickly on the fly in like a matter of an hour. And you know, BOA and Sean just facilitates that uh -huh. uh, so effortlessly. So uh, yeah. you know, shout out to shout out to BOA, shout out to Sean Dizzy Blade. Um, the album would not be the album without those guys. Yeah. Well, that's probably my favorite song on the record. Um, so there's a lot of great tracks on there, but that one, yeah, stands out. So it's interesting to kind of hear. And uh, yeah, I guess sometimes when it just it hits, it hits, you know. And, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, cool. But yeah, I guess that kind of brings up. So like, how did that even kind of come about? Like, did they just drop the beat on and uh, like? If it wasn't something that you were planning on using, how did it even get into their into their sphere, so to say? Like, was it just like, are you just like showing up at the studio and like, here's my hard drive of beats? Let's kind of scroll through the folders and see what kind of works, or do you already have stuff kind of planned out? Um, in some well, of those I, like, well, I remember, um, like, I try to have a plan because yeah. you know sometimes people just go to the studio, don't know what they're doing. And then just, you know, spend their money just not knowing what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're paying your money for your hours in there. You should have a plan. Yeah. Um, so I try as much as I can to have a plan. And when I made that beat, I knew I wanted it to be on the album. And, you know, it, it had 
a different name and a different concept and all that, and it just wasn't hidden, and I couldn't get anything down on page. And uh-huh. uh, I played the beat um, for Sean, and he's like, uh, do you have an idea for, the, for this? And I'm like, no, not really. Um, but we listened to it, and I just thought of, um, you know, I just thought of the image of Godzilla on a leash, you know, yeah, yeah. like having this monster, this giant monster that can <laughs> level entire, that can level entire cities just, just held back from, from, from doing that. Yeah. And how it feels, and how it feels sort of like that to be an artist, you know, mm-hmm. of just like, you are this person who can do amazing things, but you're just, you know, something's holding something. Something's holding you back and you don't know what it is, you know? Yeah. So I explained that concept to him and he was like, I think you have, I think you have a strong enough concept to write a song. So um, maybe we just listen to it and like you can do some writing. And I did. Trent showed up because um, he heard that I was in the studio and he just wants to be in the studio, which is, which is cool, you know? Um, so I start writing my verse, um, and the first line that came to me was a sort of an interpolation of, of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Onyx, uh, the rap group. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, their second project, um, all we got is us, uh, uh-huh. the title track, uh, includes, uh, you know, um, the niggas is heartless, you ain't heartless, you don't want no part in this. you know and i just thought of that and i thought it would be so dope to um take those lines and sort of reinterpret them in a way because he's talking about how much uh you know how much uh how dangerous it is to be where he's from and to live his life and for me i'm talking about how dangerous i feel but but i can't be because of something that's holding me back and mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was this weird it was this weird thing where i just remembered writing it and sean was like go okay if i write for this too and i was like yeah definitely and he starts writing and then drink just starts writing he didn't even ask me for permission <laughs> uh <laughs> and uh in about 45 minutes we had a song mm-hmm. and I went in there, laid it, laid down my verse. Uh, Sean laid down his verse. Drunk laid down his verse in that order, and that's the order of theirs yeah. on, on on the album. So, uh, yeah, it was um, it was legit an experience I've never had working on a song ever. You know, just mm-hmm. having nothing and then having a banger. So, yeah.
I guess with that as well, so I mean, you've worked with some other people. Do you, like, as you're writing songs, do you think of certain people that you want to also, like, feature on a song? You know, so, like, Get a Job has Liddy on it. You know, Jesse's on a couple of tracks. Are you, like, when you're writing those songs, you're like, oh, I think Jesse would be perfect to, to have a verse on this or to kind of be a part of it, or does it uh, come about in a different way? Um, well, it depends on a song. Okay. Um, so for like, uh, the, for like diagnosis, for example, uh, Jesse, I had in mind from the beginning, uh, but for the other track, Jesse was brought on to sort of, uh, bring in elements of the track that I thought was lacking from the, okay. from the other track they featured on. Um, other times it's just a matter of like, I have an idea of who I want to be on it, but that part, but that person falls through. So uh-huh. I see who else would like to be on it, and that person asked him from that. I think the previous person wouldn't have added. So yeah, uh, there was supposed to be an entirely different artist. Um, like for example, Chasing Echoes mm-hmm. uh, was supposed to be um, sort of um, a female vocalist, and that sort of fell through. It fell through twice with two different female vocalists. And um, by the time I thought of like, you know what, maybe I'm going at going about this wrong maybe i should maybe i should get you know sort of like smooth sultry uh male vocals and see yeah. how that works and i got slack uh slack Yodi on it and it just clicked like that yeah yeah uh yeah but you know other times like so like ribeye for example i knew right when i made the beat right when i wrote the verse that i wanted brandy blade on it and it was a year-long campaign to get her to get her <laughs> to spit a verse on it, and uh, yeah, I didn't have, have another option. Uh, I just knew I wanted her, and if it didn't have her, then I wouldn't put the song in the, on the project. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, so yeah, when I so when I asked Brandy, I was expecting a no, completely, or just mm-hmm. a flat no. Um, you know, because I don't, I don't like to, you know, beg for, beg for features. And I especially don't like to, you know, uh, bother artists who are usually bothered by, who are usually bothered by, you know, like, like you, the MCs that are super misogynist and all that. And it just, uh, I was a little afraid to approach Brandy and I asked her, you know, I really respect your work and I think what you do is great and I love your latest project and uh, I have this track and I would love for you to be part of it. And she said, yes. And I was just surprised that she said yes. Um, yeah. And it was so cool because um, uh, she brought something to that track that I just think, um, you know, mm-hmm. if it was someone else, it wouldn't be as good. Mm-hmm. And she just brings it like this, like this, she brings the energy full circle. Um, and you just have those hunches about, you know, who's going to be featured on it uh, from the beginning. And those are one of those hunches. That was one of those times where I was adamant about a particular artist being on it, being on yep. the song. And it, I think that was one of the only times I was that adamant about it, uh, was um, Brandy Blaze and maybe Slitty on Get a Job. Those were the yeah. two that I definitely needed to have on the project. So, yeah. Slitty does have a way of telling us to get a fucking job. <laughs> yeah. Someone else saying that, it's, I don't think it would ring the same way, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I know when the, this record came out, 
you know, you uh, did uh, sort of like a live stream album release, uh, which was cool. I got to check some of that out. But um, before the pandemic, where uh, where were you doing shows a lot? Like what was um, even kind of early on, like when you like uh, first kind of cutting your teeth as a rapper? Do you remember some of the shows you were doing and some of the people that you were performing with and kind of who was in your circle? Yeah, I was doing a lot of um, was doing a lot of stuff at uh, uh, at DIY venues up here in Boston. Uh, okay, so places like the White House, um, Neverland House, um, uh, Monkey Palace. There's a bunch of places. Yeah, okay. Uh, a bunch of you know, like sort of basement venues and things like that. And through that, I kind of met a lot of um, a lot of different a lot of different people a lot of different artists, like usually uh, back at that time, uh, anytime I was asked to do a show, uh, it was usually an electronic, an electronic show where there's like lots of, you know, weirdo, weirdo shit with, uh, <laughs> with guitar pedals and wah-wah pedals and shit like that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, that stuff is cool. It just wasn't, it just wasn't what I was doing. And yeah. uh, I remember every time, I was the only black person on the bill and I was the only rapper on the bill. So, you know, okay. it was like for a lot of these people, this is going to be the first time they've seen a rapper on stage. So I got to bring it every time. And uh-huh. uh, it was that way for a while. Um, of just, you know, doing a lot of basement shows and all that. Mm-hmm. Now, with, um, now, at the same time, I was doing the poetry thing. And with poetry, it was entirely different. Uh, okay. uh, because I was sort of making a name for myself in that arena and performing uh, at like, you know, prominent venues, doing TED Talks, performing at colleges, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And, you know, with rap, it was the entire, it was an entirely different thing where I was in basements and, you know, DIY venues. Uh-huh. Uh, not a lot of the shit I was doing at that point was, you know, like official. Um so yeah, it was um, it was it was it was different. Now okay. up in, you know, up in Providence, a lot of the venues were you know news cafe, uh, is to twenty psychic readings, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, like more more official stages or um, spot that used to be open. I'm forgetting the name of it. Aurora. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Rest in peace. Um, but yeah, like it was um. So it was a lot of, you know, like small venues and things like that, which I kind of prefer, but I don't know, man, something about being in that basement, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, next to the washing machines was my favorite, was my favorite place to perform. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Um, Yeah, well, the last question I have for you, Lewis, is what would you say is your greatest music accomplishment well um i'll say this the final track on don't be nice features the my favorite verse i've ever written um and it's my favorite verse because um i wrote it uh on a car ride on the way to the studio to record that song and mm-hmm. I just didn't have time to edit it. I didn't have time to 
you know, think about it. I didn't have time to do that edit before I write, write things. That yeah, I always yeah. do. Uh, so it was just 100% raw. And I remember just like writing it and writing the final lines. I think it was um, uh, something along the lines of, um, uh, you know, thinking back to graduation day, mom sitting in the back, piercing and blitzing on her face. I'm so proud of you to hear it from the stage. That feeling is the one I'm forever destined to chase. And it just, it sums up so much of the emotionality of the album, of everything I was feeling at that time, of like, sort of like this struggle for years to get back to um, who I am as an artist, who I am as a human, to a more healthy, more fulfilling place. And you know, that line, I think the stills, those lines distilled that struggle. And mm -hmm. it just, um, and it hit me on the, on the car ride there. It's like, this is it. This is, this is what I've been trying to write my mm -hmm. entire life as an MC, um, was this verse. And I kind of don't know what to do now that I've written this verse. Um, so, you know, once the song was recorded, uh, and I put it together because I knew like when I made the beat, I wanted to put it on the album and I wanted it to be the final track. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, from from the conception of it all the way to the writing of that final verse, um, it just sticks with me more than any other song that I've ever made. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just the entire creation of it and listening to it for the first time when it was first recorded. Um, you know, showing it to people for the first time, performing it for the first time. The first time I ever performed it um, was at the uh, Dorchester Art Project. And I remember just seeing people in tears uh, after, after, you know, the song was done. And that's, you know, just something I hold with me every day that, like, people felt that. And people mm -hmm. felt that because I didn't have that opportunity to second guess myself to think, oh, do I want to write this, you know? And yeah, it was, it was that, I think it's that. I think yeah. that for me was like, was the moment, was like sort of like the Moby Dick moment for me. Just like, this is, this is it. This is what I've been trying to do forever. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I dig it, man. And um, it's been truly incredible to talk to you and, and get a little bit of insight into your creative process and, um, you know, the career that you put together. It's, uh, again, I'll say, you know, I'm just a big fan of what you do. It's uh, astounding how much creative material you put out um, and also such a short amount of time. And, um, yeah, I just I'm uh, happy to be a small part, kind of just sharing your story, man. So thank you so much, Lewis. Thank thank you for having me, for real. Um, you know, this this podcast is so cool, and uh, the way you sort of um, the way you sort of uh, explore each side of the artist you interview is a really cool thing, and uh, I'm just really glad that I'm that that I get to be on it. So. Uh, cool. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been this has been it's been really cool to sort of go back and see where everything started mm -hmm. uh, from being as an artist. So thank oh, you.